at any point in time, on any given day, you could come home and you could see a white letter on your door about a rent increase as much as 90%. There was a point at Housing Long Beach where we had all been displaced from our homes. So we're not only working it, but we're experiencing it too. Hi folks, welcome to the Priced Out Podcast. This is a special edition of the show. It's a This American Life inspired version of the show. We're doing that to bring you the tale of the battle for rent control in Long Beach, California. Coming up on September 20th, I'm going to be traveling to Long Beach in order to screen Priced Out and I'm being hosted by Housing Long Beach an affordable housing group that tried to get rent control on the ballot in Long Beach and wound up facing more opposition than they ever dreamed they would. And they encountered a shadowy group called Better Housing for Long Beach. And we're going to get into that and into the story of Josh Butler, the uh, ED for Housing Long Beach, and how he came down this long and winding path towards trying to find some relief for renters in the seventh largest city in California. So please join us. I've been in Long Beach for for a long time now, over 20 years. And I think that a lot of people on the outside get one impression of Long Beach and people who live here after a while get a different impression of Long Beach. We think of Snoop Dogg when we think of Long yeah. Beach. And when I would travel in the 90s, that would be the first thing people would ask me. They would ask me if I know Snoop Dogg. <laughs> I do not know Snoop Dogg. I have never met Snoop Dogg. I don't even think Snoop Dogg lives in Long Beach anymore. I think he lives out in the suburbs. So um, so Long Beach is in itself quite diverse, but really we're talking about a city that has uh, pockets of diversity um, in a largely segregated community where, you know, white homeowners live in half the city and the other half of the city is largely renters and communities of color, and you can literally see this on a map. Traditionally, a lot of our homeowners are older homeowners. So you have now, I think in the last few years, there's been a lot of turnover there. So we have a lot of people who I always say are house rich. They're not necessarily wealthy individuals, but they're house rich, and they may have been able to save up money over the years by not having to make, you know, a huge mortgage payment. Um, You know, we don't have a lot of elite wealth here. So I talked to Josh last week, and he told us a little bit about Long Beach, which was a city that really I didn't know existed. As I said, it's the seventh largest city in the state of California, but I had just thought of it as like a neighborhood of Los Angeles, the only references to Long Beach that I even was aware of was the Port of Long Beach and like Snoop Dogg songs. Josh himself wasn't a native of Long Beach. He was actually from Central California and sometimes they call it the Inland Empire. And he moved to Long Beach in order to go to Cal State. I came from a little city called Upland and I went to high school there and growing up in Pomona and living there, we're on my block. We have a Filipino kid, we have a white kid, we have a black kid, we have me. And I remember getting ready to move to Upland, and the kids on the block all sitting around in front of the hoop, 
saying, hey, do you know that there's only like two black kids that go to the junior high you're going to go to? I was still young and naive, but that quickly became a target of, you know, of very light skin, um, but I do have some African-American features, and some kids pretty quick to point that out and taught me uh, and call me names. And so it was real quick to learn um, what that was like. And when I came out here to Cal State Long Beach and Long Beach, you know, that went away. That faded away. That was gone. And it was, it was, it was nice to leave that in the past. After college, Josh moved around to different jobs. He ran some political campaigns for city councilors, including uh, one woman who's still on city council, Jerry Shipke. And he was also an advocate for disabled folks. And it's when he started working with disabled folks that he noticed how much of a need housing was in their lives. And in 2002, he helped establish an affordable housing trust fund for the city of Long Beach. Unfortunately, there is no money in the trust fund. And then he went back to work for City Hall, and in 2013, he moved on and became an advocate for Habitat for Humanity, until a couple years later when he became the executive director for Housing Long Beach. By that time, the market in the city had gotten ultra-hot. It had gone from being bad to worse. I always think saying we are in a housing crisis. And so now I have to update that and say we're in a housing catastrophe. Speculators are have been for the last several years have been buying up everything they can in Long Beach. And so, yeah, it's pretty, as a longtime Long Beach resident, it's been very sad to see. There was a point at, at last year at Housing Long Beach that we had all been displaced from our homes within a one-year period. So we're not only working it, but we're experiencing it too. And it makes it very difficult for people, you know, to do their jobs and stay and take care of their kids and try to move at the same time. I would say the most extreme case I have would be this guy we know, Sean. And I saw him recently, and he's found another place to live. But Sean was one of the first people I came in contact with because his building had been sold. We were assisting the residents in whatever we could do to try and help them, um, which in Long Beach isn't much because we have you know no protections at all. So Sean, in, in an extreme case, Sean ends up out of this building. He moves Caddy Corner to another building. Six months later, that building is sold, and Sean's got to find another place to live again. So we're talking about a guy who's working for Long Beach, uh, our local Long Beach City College, and he's having to move three times in a 12-month period because of speculators keep buying his homes and kicking him out. So what renters in Long Beach face and what renters in Long Beach know is that at any point in time, on any given day, you could come home and you could see a white letter on your door folded up and you know you're going to open it. And it can tell you you've either got a rent increase or you got a 60-day notice to go. Um, so in Long Beach, those are your, that's it. The landlord can raise your rent. There does not need to be a reason for that, and they can raise it as much as they want. And we've seen rent increases as, as much as 90%, um, which is obviously a knockout blow. And so the other way they do it is just to give you the eviction, which they can also do too. Sometimes I wonder why they do the rent increase way when in Long Beach it's perfectly legal 
to put a notice on someone's door to evict them and not give them any reason whatsoever. So we have renters who have been living in their unit for years, paying their rent on time for years, come home and find out that they have 60 days to get out. And a lot of times we get a call and people ask us, is that legal? Can they do that? And most people are not aware that indeed it is the case that your landlord can do that. So that's the story in Long Beach, that your rent can go up and you can be kicked out. And the landlord only needs to provide the minimum required notice by the state of California. And that's 30 days if you've been living there for less than a year and 60 days if you've been there for more than a year. So Josh wanted to do something about rent regulation in the city. He said at the time, Long Beach was a pretty quote-unquote rough place and that if you even brought up the term rent control, someone would take a pipe to your knees. At least that's what he was told. So he thought, maybe this town isn't quite ready for the rent control conversation. So he set up a meeting with some landlord association folks and some local leaders And he just wanted to bring up smaller measures like just cause evictions and maybe relocation fees. And this is what happened. You know, I was surprised. We went, I was invited to a Jimmy John's, which is a local like sausage food chain. And, uh, you know, you expect the apartment association to pay for your lunch. No. I paid for my own little sausage, and I had lunch with the some board president and the executive director and talked about how could we work together. We have a crisis in our community. How can we work on this together? Can we come up with a policy that works for landlords, that works for renters? And there was total resistance to that, total resistance to that. There was a second meeting with the landlord and a landlord lobbyist where, again, conversation was the same. Let's work together. Let's see if we can come up with a policy that, that works for everybody. And the responses are real clear. You don't have the vote, so I don't have to have this conversation with you. Mm. So I walked out of that meeting and was like, wow, so that's it. We don't have the vote. And they're not going to work with us to help us figure out a policy that gets us there. And that's when I knew that day that we were going to have to go to the ballot. And that's what led us, I think, to our next steps. So at this point, we probably need to talk about the history of rent control in California, which is complicated to say the least. In 1978, after uh, voters passed their landmark property cut and cap measure called Proposition 13, rent control started as a real movement across the state. Places like San Jose, San Francisco, Oakland, and Berkeley, Beverly Hills, Santa Monica, and Palm Springs all passed local ordinances on rent control between 1978 and 1980. It was a movement that kind of swept into California with tremendous speed. So then in 1995, a new law called Costa-Hawkins passed. And what that did was it rolled back rent control laws. Under Costa-Hawkins, as soon as a unit was vacated, it could go back up to market rates. It said that rent control 
cannot stay fixed on a building. It has to follow the individual. It said that rent control cannot be placed on a new building. And that definition of what a new building is rolls back to when a particular city passed rent control. So for example, San Francisco, which passed rent control in 1978, any building built after 1978 could not be rent controlled. And so it tried to reform rent control statutes, but it's also kind of just complicated and muddied the waters a lot. So rent control as a movement sort of died. But as the housing crisis of the last few years started to pick up pace, rent control conversations started happening again. And in 2015, Richmond became the first city in California to adopt new rent control regulations. It was the first time in three decades. Then Mountain View, California passed rent control. And then in 2017, there was a new proposal in Glendale and Los Angeles County supervisors proposed it for trailer parks in LA. I'd like to take credit for all that research, but I really can't. That research almost all comes from a single blog post that was posted by a woman named Joni Weir, who we're going to talk about more in a few minutes. Yeah, after a year of pushing on just conservation and getting some support in the community, but making no headway politically, we then launched a ballot initiative campaign to get this done in an effort to, as much as possibly, sidestep the legislative branch that was either going to do nothing or stand in the way. So what we said, let's skip that, let's skip them, let's go around them, and let's go straight to the people we know from our polling that we've done. We know that we have support for this, if we can get it on the ballot. And that was the big challenge that we faced. We are housing Long Beach. And we've been known as Housing Long Beach for a little over a decade. This other group came along here in 2016 and called themselves Better Housing for Long Beach. So it was almost as if, you know, not only are we going to choose this Orwellian-type name, we're going to steal, we're just going to confuse people about Housing Long Beach's name at the same time. So it was kind of a a double whack. They also filed a complaint with the state of California against me personally for some funny, I thought was a funny commercial that we made. Um, And they felt like that their images were used uh, illegally. The California Fair Practices and Commission came back and said, no, that we didn't do anything wrong. It was a public meeting and public images. So we found out real quickly right out of the gate that this group was going to be belligerent. So enter Better Housing for Long Beach. It's kind of a strange organization. Its website is full of stock photography, doesn't seem to have any real original content. There's no listing for the volunteers, the staff, or the board of directors. According to their 990s, they had $43,000 in revenue in 2016 and $9,000 in assets in 2017. The organization is headed by Joni Weir, who media reports describe as a landlord activist. She said she volunteered about 25 hours a week to the organization and took no pay in 2016. It also says the group has an office at 
3600 Anaheim Avenue in Long Beach. And that's also one of the locations for where she works, which is JW Global, a maker of industrial power sources. According to Joni's LinkedIn page, she's president of JW Global. But when I called JW Global, they said they'd never heard of her. And that company is not based out of Long Beach. It's based out of Livermore. So it gets stranger from here. We think of ourselves at Housing Long Beach as a grassroots organization. And we think of an organization like Better Housing for Long Beach as an astroturf organization that doesn't have any real roots in the community, but has laid itself out and given the appearance that they want to help people and make this community better. But they've only been, they've come up with no ideas on how to do that and only become, only been incredibly, incredibly divisive and antagonistic. And as a longtime Long Beach resident, it caught me a little off guard because uh, that's, that's not how things we, that's not how we do things here in Long Beach. That's not the kind of dialogue and discourse we have to get to solutions to the problems that we face. And so I say what we now refer to as the trolling began, where, you know, when you go online and then someone will troll your comments and, you know, just badger you online, this happened to us offline. So when we would show up at meetings to build support for just cause eviction, these folks would show up and not necessarily come up with better arguments than us, but they would create a very divisive environment, which would just basically turn people off. And so that started. And as we moved further into the rent control effort and actually filed papers and began collecting signatures, that trolling uh, moved up to a level 10. One of the first things that happened was that our kickoff campaign, um, they showed up and put flyers around the neighborhood that called our organizers and our volunteers anti-black communists. Beware of rent control. The effort is being led by anti-black communists. And they were also present at in the park with bullhorns and in our faces, and they were in my face in particular. And so um, that's when we got a real taste of where this was going to go when we found out that that was real akin to some of the same exact language that was being used by the Ku Klux Klan in 1930s Alabama. So we're going to include this flyer in the podcast and on our blog post and social media. The flyer was captured in a tweet from Housing Long Beach, and it's a side-by-side -side comparison between an old image of a Klan flyer and the flyer that was allegedly passed out by Volunteers for Better Housing for Long Beach. Joni, in media reports, denied that her group was passing these flyers out. But Josh has a different story. Our volunteers, someone on our board, I witnessed them putting them on people's vehicles and questioned them about that. And they said, no, that's not us. But we saw them do that. Um, we further seen them engage in, I would say, a lot of things that certainly toe the line in terms of, you know, racism, some, uh, you know, again, personal attacks against myself, where, again, I'm biracial, and, and the, one of their most outspoken members is a self-identified Trump supporter, and he's an African-American gentleman, 
who's also been very belligerent towards me personally, uh, called me things like Zebra, Uncle Tom, and worse. So this group knows no boundaries, knows no rules, and will seemingly engage in anything at this point to muddy the waters. And it gets uglier still. According to Josh, there was allegedly a, a physical altercation between one of the Housing for Long Beach volunteers and Joni Weir. It involved a, a shopping cart and a confrontation in a parking lot during a signature gathering campaign. Uh, we can't confirm or deny any of that. My request for a police report did not arrive in time for this recording. Uh, all we can say is that it definitely sounds like it got weird. And all the confrontations, it, it turned off a lot of Josh's volunteers. Uh, they got intimidated in the end. And they didn't gather enough signatures to make it to the ballot. Essentially, Housing Long Beach called it off. So, what's next? We've learned from mistakes, we've learned from our tactics, we've learned opposition tactics as well. And so we're already in discussion about getting back out there and doing this again. The city, we're still not hearing tenant protections, we're still not hearing renter protections. And until the city gets serious about it and is quickly on it, then we will again work within the community to do this again ourselves. And we think that in 2020, we have a better opportunity, knowing what we know now, to be more successful. A lot of other cities tried to put rent control on the ballot in California this year, and a lot of them didn't make it. But, oddly enough, rather than being really mad at the people who oppose rent control, you actually get some inspiration from them. And so as we move forward with our fight to pass rent control here in Long Beach, we now know that it's not going to be an easy fight, that the other side's going to fight tooth and nail to keep what they have here. And we can take inspiration from them. We know that it took them five legislative cycles. It took them 10 years. And rent control and just cause eviction are something that we believe in and that we know is worth fighting for. And if it takes us 10 years to get there, then so be it. But our goal is to get there and stop this bleeding and stop this speculation. Well, that's it. That's our story about the battle for rent control in Long Beach and California. I don't think it's going to be the last we'll hear about it. We do have a show on the 20th, but as far as the Priced Out podcast goes, our next show will be a conversation with Realtor social media provocateur and uh, black historian Fred Stewart who was uh, in Priced Out but not nearly enough so we will catch up with him as part of our cutout series which we'll be continuing on in the next weeks. Thanks so much you'll be hearing more from us. Don't forget to like us on YouTube and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Thanks everybody.